This is The Guardian. Others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Opening weekend mark two did not disappoint. We had a dazzling display from debutante Daly at Villa Park. Penalties only at Prenton Park in a shock defeat for champions Chelsea. Arsenal and Manchester United both hit four, while there were also wins on the board for West Ham and Tottenham. We'll discuss all the action from the first WSL game week. Take your questions, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Happy birthday to you for yesterday, Susie Rack. That's the extent of my singing, I'm afraid. (laughs) I'm going to have to make today my birthday because yesterday's was rubbish and I spent the whole day in bed with this cold that you can like smell delightfully. Uh, Smell? Here, here delightfully. I can't smell. Oh, that's rubbish. I want to channel the energy of Susie Rack who said, bleep it, faker others, this is going to be the biggest and best season ever. That was the most enthusiasm I had all weekend as I was like lying on my deathbed. So yeah, you got the best out of me that weekend. Well, thank you for that. It did bring a very big smile to my face. It was appreciated. Uh, Johnny Lou, you promised us that you'd watch Arsenal Brighton and then spend three days thinking very hard about what you'd seen. So I'm very much looking forward to your analysis today. Yeah, I mean, there are actually downsides to watching a game on Friday night and, and spending three days thinking about it. Uh, and you actually kind of forget what, what happened in the first place. But, um, but you know, let's, let's have a crack. Yeah, well, fingers crossed you, you make it. Uh, Moyo Abiona, lovely to see you as always. Have you recovered? You stayed up late, didn't you, for the WNBA finals over the weekend on top of all the football? I did. Wow, I feel like I've been caught. Um, yes, I did. It was amazing. It has been a good one and I'm glad that that series is done. So yes, back to normal timing, I think, for me. I don't think I could cope with watching American sports on top of everything else that I want. I don't think I have enough time in my day and I need more than three hours sleep in my life. So kudos to you for that. Uh, Right, there is so much to dig into. Uh, Let's go straight off with WSL holders Chelsea losing 2-1 away at Liverpool. Two Katie Stengel penalties in the second half, trumping Frank Kirby's third minute penalty. Uh, This is a tweet from Michael Reed 11. Liverpool are the first newly promoted side to beat the reigning champions in the WSL since Sunderland beat Liverpool back in March 2015. Gosh, I mean, just three of those things change everything when you think March for a start how much has women's football changed Adam Salter wants to know why do Chelsea always start slowly to seasons they've failed to win four of their last opening five games yet they've still won three WSL titles in a row I mean that is a good point Susie because it was a big shock wasn't it or or, or was it I mean yeah it was a shock Um, like you know far more of a shock than say them losing to Arsenal at the start of the season last year which you know, a far bigger opponent. Um, I don't think anyone was expecting Liverpool to fly out of the blocks in quite the way they did. That Chelsea looked disjointed. Is it something to worry about? Probably not. Um, as the stats for, you know, how the season plays out when they lose an opening game of the season show, it's it's not necessarily a big problem. It's not like we know they can't score. But yeah, I think just a little bit of, you know, a lot of these teams are coming back into 
the new season having not actually played many friendlies. Chelsea's one of those teams, a lot of players competing at the Euros. So, yeah, I mean, not the greatest performance you've ever seen, not the greatest refereeing performance either, but very, very good performance for Liverpool. Like, you can't take it away from them. They were they were brilliant. Uh, they really, really frustrated Chelsea. And, that, like, I thought Chelsea's setup was a little bit weird as well. Yeah, it was interesting what Emma Hayes said after the, the match. They couldn't hit a barn door, and that's that's very much what it felt like. Although Sam Kerr did hit the barn door, although she was called offside for it. But going back to the kind of context of this game, Johnny, do you think this is something we're going to see a little bit more of as the league gets a bit more competitive? Hopefully. I mean, Chelsea last season, they dropped, what, I think, was it 10 points? They they lost two and, and drew two, and I think got 56 points from 22 games. And they've already dropped three, which I think is kind of encouraging for the rest of the league. Um, and, and, you know, we, we have seen how teams a little bit, you know, outside the big three, um, you know, your United, your Everton, Spurs, West Ham's have have kind of have really invested in their women's teams. It, it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't take a huge leap. It's not an unbridgeable gap. And so, you know, you see um, weekends like like we just did, where the mid table sides or uh, are giving the the big teams a bloody nose. And frankly, I, I can't I can't get enough of the drama. <laughs> it was a really good weekend. Yeah, it was. It was a cracking weekend. Um... Moyo, Susie alluded to it there, the setup, the way Chelsea uh, was set up. A lot of attacking players on the pitch, but not necessarily a whole lot of a, of attacking going on. What did you make of it? Yeah, I found it strange, to be honest. Obviously, I know Penina Harder was taken out of the starting lineup after feeling, I think she's had a tight hamstring. Um, but like, it was confusing to me that the replacement for Penina Harder was, was Sophie Ingle. I think... I don't know about how Emma wanted to set up before that injury or precautionary injury injury happened, but like it was very strange to me that it was Sophie Ingle that was brought in just because they're obviously not like for like players. Like one of them is a defensive midfielder, one of them is obviously a forward. And I feel like that changed and that's probably what made it look as disjointed as it did. I feel like the ball wasn't being taken from midfield into the final third quickly enough. And that was probably a big part of how Penilla Harder drops deep into midfield to collect the ball. Yeah, I just feel like they didn't really adapt well to the change in lineup that happened. Yeah, interesting going forward. But, I mean, take Chelsea aside, Susie. It was impressive for Liverpool in the first place and a debut for, for Katie Stengel to remember as well. And she was pretty impressive. And it, and it also shows that Matt Beard's side shouldn't be overlooked this season for, for sure. Yeah, brilliant uh, start. I mean, like obviously they couldn't have hoped for much better. I thought Leanne Kernan had a fantastic game. She was everywhere. And I remember watching her under Beard at West Ham and thinking uh, that she like, is a great player um, with a bright future. She was quite young then. She's a much mature player. And I thought she caused that Chelsea back line loads of problems, which was which was cool to see. You know, there's no doubt that Matt Beard is a good manager. Whether he has been given enough resources at Liverpool, you know, obviously chronically underfunded the team for such a long time to actually do anything beyond the odd upset here and there this season is is going to be interesting thing to see. Yeah, definitely. I think um, having spoken to Matt Beard, they're going to hope to consolidate this season and definitely survival is, is, is number one aim, but I think they can they can for sure do more than that. We need to talk about the, the refereeing decisions in, in this match and, and there were others throughout the weekend as well, including um, in Arsenal's game against Brighton. But 
The offside decision is a really difficult one, isn't it? And it brings up a load of questions, Johnny. But I don't think the naked eye can see an offside that tight for Sam Kerr's first disallowed goal. No, and, and even after watching, uh, you know, dozens of replays, there is still an element of, of doubt there until you actually get the little blue and red lines in from VAR. Um, there is always going to be a slightly subjective element to that. And, you know, when we get to Arsenal, there was a, you know, there was a big, big offside call in that game as well, um, which was really, really crucial to the, the way that game went. So, yeah, I, I, I don't have a huge problem with with referees, like human referees making mistakes on tight calls. I don't, I don't, and I think one of the things that, that fans, I think really, really kind of need to just get a little bit mature about, about these kind of things. If there are blatant errors, then yeah, it's, it's fine. You know, it, it's fine to have a little bit of a moan, but I think we've seen that, that VAR is not the, the panacea for, for solving arguments about refereeing decisions that, that, you know, maybe a lot of people thought it was when it was brought in, you know, we saw it, you know, at the Euros and there was still, you know, we were still arguing about referees a lot. And there was, there was an extent to which, you know, you, you can have a conversation about whether the, the standard of referees in the WSL is good enough or whether, whether, whether there is the depth of the depth of talent there, but we are all basically humans making mistakes and, and screwing up. So that's, that's what I think about it. I mean, speak for yourself. I'm pretty perfect, I'd say. I, I never make mistakes. <laughs> he makes a very good point, though, Johnny, doesn't he, Susie? Because there does seem as if there's a bit of mistrust towards referees at the moment. But I also think there's an element of understanding that at least something is being done behind the scenes to try and improve things where possible. And we just have to be realistic about where um, refereeing is in the women's game at the moment. Yeah, I mean... They don't like you saying they're not professionals. They're not full time. Like, um, you know, they are extremely professional in the way they work, obviously, and, you know, get a lot of resources and stuff. But they're not full time. They're not able to focus on it uh, full time um, in the same way that referees in the men's game can. And that is going to affect things. That's not their fault. It's the FA's fault. It's the fault of a, a league that thinks it's okay to have professional players, but not professional referees. Like, that's a hole that needs closing. Does women's football need VAR and goal line technology goal line technology maybe VAR like I'm not so sure like I say I I haven't got a problem with uh like Johnny said you know the mistakes of referees um in you know really really marginal decisions um you know yeah you watch that Sam Kerr offside 10 times over and you can't tell if it's offside until the BBC draw the lines on it like the camera angle when I was watching live was just so bad that like it could have been it it might not have been. Um, so, yeah, the the idea that a referee can is always going to get that right in the heat of the moment. Um, you know, really, really difficult call. Um, I don't want VAR. As Johnny said, there's there's still mistakes with VAR. You still get the questions with VAR. Improvements to refereeing, um, more investment, the chance for them to be able to be full-time. That's where the money should go. That's where the, the money for VAR, which costs a lot, uh, should go. Unless they switch all the teams into playing in the main stadiums that are already set up for VAR, then uh, then that becomes less of a problem. Well, I was just going to suggest that, actually, because that is the biggest problem with it, isn't it? You know, some teams don't even have the correct facilities for their players to do their jobs. So 
finding money to invest in VAR when you haven't got those kind of things in place, I think is uh, is not going to happen at the moment. I know, right? Working lights in toilets and things like that would be a good start, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, yes, amongst others. Uh, always, always helpful when trying to find the loo. Um, wasn't just Chelsea who had a disappointing opening WSL weekend, was it? Manchester City losing 4-3 to Aston Villa, which has to be the game of the weekend. Uh, Villa 2-0 up, thanks to goals from Alicia Lehman and Rachel Daly before they were pegged back to 3-2. Two goals from Laura Coombs and then a header from Bunny Shaw. But Villa didn't down tools. They had a deflected effort from Kenza Darley go in and then Rachel Daly's second gave them the 4-3 victory. Um, do you know what? This question's here and I'm not, I, I don't want to ask it because I want to focus on how good Aston Villa were in this match. But just as a quick aside, Johnny, who was worse, Chelsea or Manchester City? Oh, Manchester City, by a mile. I mean... Manchester City were were they, were they were an absolute mess. Chelsea looked a bit rusty, and you know they were, they looked a bit disjointed, I guess, and a bit slow. But you could kind of see what what they were trying to do. Manchester City were were shambolic for for large parts of that, and you know they 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 kind of bungled in. Well, they bungled in some goals, you know, from 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 set pieces. And when you have like Bunny Shaw and Lauren Hemp, like you know, Shaw Hemp Kelly, how are how are you not? You know, scorching the surface of the earth with a with a front line like that. Uh, I don't I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. You know, there was lots of talk about Gareth Taylor and 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 what he's doing or not doing or trying to do there. Um, but you know, they, they they seem like so much less than the sum of their parts, and actually have done for a while. So you know, and and that's not to take anything away from Villa, who were who were, I thought, really brave. I mean, brave and and well organised, and you know, they 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 had the they had the courage to to actually do something with the ball, not to play the simple pass, to try things and and to there's, there's there's something really heroic, you know, about about pressing a player and you don't you don't know whether the the, the guys behind you are pressing as well. If the three guys behind you aren't also pressing, the thing doesn't work. You've left a huge gap and and but so there's something you know that that's why pressing is so hard to organize and uh, and why you know it's so effective when it works, but it's it's and then Villa pulled it off. You know the the, the trap they set for City again and again from from their goal kicks and and from, from from when City were passing it out, and suddenly boom, triggered and then um and they, they were they were kind of they were on them. So I thought that was a great performance. Um, <laughs> I was waiting for the next part. Then I've already spoke for about four minutes. So I, think I, can... <laughs> I know I loved it though; it was brilliant. Um, and I was going to ask Moyo about Aston Villa, but I still will ask Moyo about Aston Villa because I'm quite excited by them this season, and not not just based on on that performance, but. You know, Matt Davis Adams tweeted in saying Daly got all the headlines, but could Kenza Darley be one of the best low-key signings of the summer? She bossed the midfield on Sunday, and her passing was it was impressive. And and I think overall, Aston Villa could do something special this season. Yeah, I thought to be honest, when I saw Aston Villa's lineup, I was really excited purely because when you saw the lineup, even just on paper. You could see what Carla Ward was trying to do, even just with the personnel that was there. Like the front three all had something in common, which was that they all have pays, but they all very much can be that sort of pressing person. It all can be the person that will be high intensity, high energy. And you could tell us what Carla Ward wanted from her front line. And I think from there as well, one thing we could see that was really evident in the game was that the players have really started building up like a good sort of trust and connection. Like it's in line with what Jonathan was saying before about how with pressing, 
obviously you want to press from the front, but you don't know if everyone else is going to continue to do that. But one thing we saw was that the midfield was very much in sync with the front line, which was good. And it just felt like they were really high on confidence. I feel like they gained a lot of confidence from the fact that the first time they pressed, City did look shaky. And I think that sort of momentum just carried on throughout. Like, obviously it wasn't helped by like some of the, the goalkeeping in, in this game, but like there was very much attacking intent from Villa from the beginning. And I think they gained a lot of confidence from the fact that they scored early and were able to keep that pressure. Yeah, it's a really good point, Susie, because it's actually only the second time that they've ever come from behind to win a game in the WSL, which is, you know, pretty impressive in itself. But it feels, I don't want to put all of this on on Rachel Daly, but obviously most people in this country have only ever seen her play as left back. Well, she was a forward for Houston Dash, um, but she plays in defence for, for England for the majority of the time. But this was a, a, a real mood change for Aston Villa and for WSL viewers as well. Um, she was the leader. Oh, totally. And I mean, what a leader. She's got so much fight in her um, as a person as well, a lot, not just as a player. And yeah, like I saw someone tweet a poll afterwards that said, is Rachel Daly a defender or forward? And everyone was just going, sort of, why can't she be both? Um, because she she does do both well, um, as we saw in the summer. But yeah, like centre forward is her natural position. She was prolific there for uh, Houston Dash before she joined Villa. And Carla Ward has made it very clear that she has no intention of playing her in the back line, rightfully so. I mean, in a team like Villa, that's where she's most needed is up the top getting goals. I actually thought, you know, obviously we've shouted out Rachel uh, Daly, Kenza Daly, but I thought Alicia Lehman had a really good game as well. And sort of last season, I thought she was a little bit overrated. I know she was fans player of the season. And then she sat out the summer and I thought, oh, is this the end of Alicia Lehman in football even? Because she chose not to be part of the, well, what was put out anyway is that she chose not to be part of the Swiss squad and didn't want to play at the Euros and wanted to have some, a bit of time out. You just thought, oh, that's a bit of a strange decision. Uh, but she, I thought she was phenomenal. You know the pressure she put on the ball for Rachel Daly's first, and then obviously her movement for the for the first goal as well were were really really great. She was everywhere, but far more effective and clinical in her decision making. Um, it's like it's a real exciting front line they've got there now. And Carla Ward is such a good manager. She really wants her team to play tenaciously, and she really wants them to. Uh, show a lot of fight. I think we saw that when she was at Birmingham and managed to just about keep them up. Um, there's there's a really, really talented manager there. It's unfair to say she deserves to be at a bigger club than Aston Villa, but I think like she could do something special at Aston Villa that, that prompts a lot of other teams to sort of turn their head her way a little bit sooner. Well, they have a project, don't they, at Aston Villa, which she's very much bought into and... Uh... And yeah, I think as long as they keep going on the trajectory that they're planning to go on, then then they can keep her. But yeah, she's definitely destined for for big things, Carla Ward, that's for sure. Um, Johnny mentioned it, Moyo. Um, Manchester City, shambolic was was the was the word. I hope I'm not misquoting you there, Johnny. Gareth Taylor said in his press conference before the match that it might 
take them a little bit of time to get their new players up to speed. But I don't think we quite expected them to look that bad. And obviously, we know that they've lost a lot of key players this summer. But the match showed that the midfield is the biggest, biggest problem. Yeah. Before the game, I was talking to one of my Arsenal supporter friends and I was saying that the match being postponed between City and Arsenal was very much preferential towards City because it was very clear that they were going to have these sorts of like teething problems. Obviously, even just looking at the starting lineup, they've brought in some really, really good players, but they've also lost a lot of good players. Like they've lost a lot of good players and a lot of the players they brought on started on the bench this weekend. So it's tough because most of the starting lineup is made out of people who weren't necessarily starting last season other than the forward line. And it's with the hope that they'll step up. The midfield did look really shaky, to be honest. Like a lot of blame, I think, is going on Alexandru, but I don't actually think that was really where the issue started. I know there was a lot of emphasis on, oh, Alexandru's replacing Walsh. But I think that the actual problem was like the connection between midfield and defence. I feel like, Pretty much the defence normally stays consistent in, in most successful teams. And so does the base of midfield. And I feel like there being that lack of like synchronicity essentially between the midfield and defence is where the issues really started. I also think that like teams get a lot of confidence from like their goalkeeper calming things down. And obviously Ellie Robert didn't really have a good game. She's someone that normally you can really trust. I think it was just an off day for her. But obviously that wouldn't have helped as well. I feel like there were a lot of things that sort of added to City looking as shaky as they did. Obviously, Laura Coombs did well to get on the end of those two goals. But I feel like before she scored her first goal, she wasn't really driving into the box as much as she needed to. And I was actually kind of surprised that Gareth went with with Laura Coombs in the starting lineup over maybe like a Lasada, for example. Yeah, interesting. I think there's quite a lot to unpick there and a lot for for Gareth Taylor to have to unpick. And he doesn't have very much time to do it either because Chelsea are the next opponents at Kings Meadow next weekend. So whereas um, Arsenal perhaps would have liked that uh, opening game, Chelsea will get to benefit perhaps from the slightly disjointed Manchester City at the moment and they're going to be licking their lips as well because they need to bounce back too. That could be a relegation (laughs) six-pointer. Go on, Susie. Yeah, I also, like, I'm not having the uh, loads of new silings. It's going to take time for them to gel, be patient line from Gareth Taylor because, you know, look at some of the other teams that have had huge turnovers, the likes of Tottenham, the likes of West Ham. I mean, 12 new signings, five in their starting lineup. you know, just look so more organised. The City... The City players don't look like they understand what is being asked of them. There doesn't seem to be a plan. And if there is one, they don't know it. And I think now we're seeing a real, real test of Taylor as a manager. He's got a squad, like a good squad. Um, He's got a team that, you know, would be the envy of, of many managers. He's got to get them playing together and he's not. And I don't I don't think he'll last long. If, uh, if they keep playing the way they, they did the other day. Yeah, pivotal season for Gareth Taylor and for Manchester City. Uh, that is for sure. That's it for part one of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. In part two, we'll talk Arsenal and Manchester United's big wins, as well as the battle of the new managers out in Dagenham.
Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. So, if Manchester City and Chelsea struggled, Arsenal and Manchester United breezed through their early season tests against Brighton and Reading. Uh, not a great start for Brighton, was it? Emma Kohlberg sent off after just seven minutes after bringing down Stina Blackstinius, even though it looked like Blackstinius was offside. Uh, from there on, goals from Kim Little, Beth Mead for two, and Blackstinius as well herself. Uh, pretty straightforward match, really, for Jonas Seidervall's side. Johnny, you were at this game. Obviously, when one team is a player down for almost the majority of the match, it becomes a little bit distorted. But what did you take from this in terms of Arsenal's performance? Yeah, I mean, I think we all feared the worst for the game as a contest when Brighton went went down to 10 players. Um, I thought they actually, I mean, I thought they actually did okay. I know they lost 4-0, but at no point did they kind of collapse or or subside or kind of or really lose their shape. You know, they, they really made Arsenal work for those four goals. I think Arsenal had 38 shots, which obviously, you know, when when that you're putting the amount of pressure on the final third that they're going to do, you know, there's going to be you know, a lot of chances. But Brighton held pretty firm, which is a testament to their fitness, I guess, a testament to, you know, the way Hope Powell has, has managed to to get us a, a team which has had so, like, I mean, if, if um, you know, if Gareth Taylor's talking about the change they've had, Brighton have basically had to replace half a team, a whole team, uh, almost. And so they looked pretty organised in the circumstances. Um, and it, it took Arsenal a while, like, I think it was almost half an hour to actually, to get the first goal and you know a lot of um, you know a lot of running up dead ends, a lot of kind of passing it quite slowly around around you know the, from the flank to the centre and, and and just trying to trying to work an opening, and and then you know around the start of the second half it really started clicking and it looked it looked good. Beth Mead was you know has lost absolutely none of 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 the form that that we saw in the Euros. Um, oh, Callum Ford was was really really encouraging on on the left wing, and then you know you know that that front four is is going to create chances and score goals. Um, Blackstini has got one, I think, and it was a happy camp by the end. Like uh, I think it was a record crowd as well, and yeah, given what happened to Chelsea and Manchester City afterwards, I think Arsenal can be can be pretty confident that they have hit the ground the best out of, out of the main title contenders. Susie Rack is kind of nodding, nodding away. I was expecting a big beam on her face because as an Arsenal fan, it has been a pretty impressive weekend for you all in. But Jonas Eidevel's Arsenal have been in this position before. Do you think they're going to be better prepared perhaps for taking this early advantage than they were last season? Good question. I mean, you'd like to think so, right? Like the squad is stronger. They like had a really unusually difficult sort of December, January last year that, that ruptured things. The absence of Leah Williamson was was a big blow around that time. Then they brought in Blackstinius and uh, Wien Mafia and another in January and really, really arrested those problems. So like you, you kind of think now Ida Bauer's had the January transfer window and the summer to do what he wants with the squad that, that they should be in a place where they can compete across the course of the season. I'm not totally convinced they've got the squad depth there to compete in four competitions across the whole season. I know that's going to be a bit of a challenge, but like given the form of the likes of Steena Blackstinius and Beth Mead, I mean, Beth Mead for that fourth goal, just like such incredible control and patience, uh, like really lovely to watch. Uh, I feel like they're a big injury to Leavorty away from having a big problem 
obviously they can move Leah Williamson forward into that position, but then you sort of disrupt the the coherence of the back line that is is so reliant on her. So there's potential issues there. I think it's going to be a case of a bit of luck. In the same way, you know, England were quite lucky at the Euros with Kototo doing her ACL and Putellas doing hers before the uh, tournament even started. And, you know, little things like that that just go your way. You know, whether they've got the confidence in them to challenge Chelsea, that's that's another thing. You know, you saw at the end of the season, Chelsea just did not look like they were going to lose and have just a resilience to their their side um like like you didn't really see that of Arsenal last season um whether I'd have been able to sort of win them completely behind him in the same way as he did in the first couple of months last season it's going to be an interesting one they look great though like it's yeah like you say it's great to be an Arsenal fan I texted uh Marcus one of the football editors at the Guardian and said if Arsenal do the men's and women's double I'm retiring um so you know see you later wow 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 you are getting way ahead of yourself lady <laughs> i'm just gonna pause you there the double yeah yeah men's and women's double calling it now right my predictions okay. are dire know, so all arsenal know, fans are going to be like sending that. we know what your predictions exactly are like. sending me hate mail you are now Mikel Arteta's best friend. <laughs> um, Manchester United top with Arsenal, Moyo. Uh, it was a demolition, really, in the first half of Reading, wasn't it? Maya Letizia twice, another good debut. Uh, Katie Zellum as well, and Alessia Russo also on the score sheet. And they look like they could be quite good fun this season, actually, Manchester United. I think they could do something. Well, as a United fan, I've had hoped that we'll do something for a couple of years now and it obviously hasn't happened, but um, it does look good this season. I I think that a lot of the problems that United had last season were down to like dropping points from winning positions. So obviously that wasn't tested over the weekend, but that's something that we're going to have to see throughout the season, how they come to terms with like either being up and then conceding and then seeing how we recover from that as well. But like, one thing I liked about this United side from the weekend's game was that the ball was moving really quickly. And I feel like that was an area that United weren't necessarily known for last season. It feels like they're starting to understand what it is that Mark wants. And they really exerted dominance over Reading this weekend. I think they had their foot down with the first goal. Myla Sissia had an absolutely fantastic debut. I think, first of all, when that signing was made, I was like, yes, this is a very good signing. But like, she even exceeded my expectations for her for her debut, I think. I think she really rose, rose to the occasion. She didn't look nervous at all, um, which was good. But like, yeah, the United team very much looks as though they're saying Champions League or bust this year. And I feel like that's the mentality that they need to have almost because I think after three years of coming fourth, it's kind of like coming fourth again will not be an achievement. And they really need to make strides to to sort of put their foot down and say, OK, we need to get top three this season. Yeah, and actually one player who who might be pivotal in that, Susie, you mentioned her in your talking points for The Guardian is Katie Zellum. It was her 100th appearance for United at the weekend. How important is she going to be if they really want to make a genuine push for the Champions League. Oh, she was brilliant, wasn't she? I mean, like she was just everywhere and just her set-piece delivery, second time, I mean, well, how what was it, like four goals she scored from corners last season? Like real incredible dead ball ability. Um, and I think it's no accident that 
my Letizia has now become some sort of super striker despite playing all of her career at centre-back. Um, you know, getting on the end of Zenham's crosses. Um, yeah, she's she's a phenomenal player. And even though she didn't go to the Euros, she's really benefited from being in the England camps before the Euros and since the Euros. Like, I think it's taken her up a level a little bit. I think it's really pushed her on. And it's a good season from her is like transport matery for United. I think Moyo had it right. Like it is Champions League or bust. And, you know, with City, the way they are, you know, how long a City going to be below par, to put it nicely? Like at, at some point, the board are going to turn around and go, hang on a second, we need to do something about this. And this is prime time for United to really take advantage of the sort of chaos that's that's going on there. I think it's no accident that, you know, when a load of the City players were departing, the likes of Georgia Stanways and Kira Walsh's and stuff, they're not they're not praising Taylor, they're praising Nick Cushing for being influential on, on their time in, in Manchester City Blue. And if Man United sort of have a bit of a fire lit under them by Mark Skinner it's really needed now because that's not going to be the situation forever. And United don't want to miss this little window of opportunity to really, really steal a march on them. Gareth Taylor's taken a battering from Susie in this pod so far. (laughs) I really hope he's not listening. (laughs) Well, no, I hope he's listening for other reasons, but you know what I mean. I want to watch Kira Walsh and and Georgia Star. I want to watch them every week. And because of him, partly, probably, we can't. Well, what we can watch next week is uh, Manchester United's game against West Ham, who are their next opponents. And uh, Paul Koncheski's opening game went very well. I mean, there were quite a few seemingly mismatched ties in the WSL this weekend, but certainly Everton against West Ham seemed to always be a strong mid-table dogfight. And West Ham won it 1-0 thanks to a Lisa Evans header. Um, I think we're all rooting for Paul Koncheski now, aren't we? Seems like, I mean, I've, I've, I think I met him years and years ago, but I've not met him in his in his new current guise. But he comes across very well. And especially, you know, we talk about a turnover of players. West Ham lost a couple of starters this season in Svitkova, Hasegawa, Jilly Flatty as well. But they always kind of looked pretty well placed to replace them. And it, it seems like they're quite a reliable team. What, what say you? I think, but to be honest, for me, Oli Harder leaving at the end of last season was a, was a shock to me. I thought he'd done really well with their their team last season. I, I think he'd gotten the best out of players who hadn't necessarily looked like they were going to reach that level beforehand. And then when the appointment of um, Koncheski happened, I was like, okay, this is this is interesting because it's going to be fresh ideas. Like, there's not we can't lean to something else he's done within the league and say, oh, but like in the WSL before he's done X Y Z. So for him, it's very much a clean slate. This West Ham side obviously has lost quite a few good players, like important players to them. Like obviously Adriana Leon's gone to Manchester United, Hasegawa's now gone to Man City. And I feel like those were two players that had played pivotal roles for them before. So it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt to those sorts of losses. But I think them getting Lisa Evans on a permanent signing has been a really good signing for them. I thought she did well on loan last season. And so going into this game with sort of the like assurance that you know this is your team now not just the team you're at temporarily I feel like she looked confident as you were saying before like Everton West Ham is probably a very well matched game in terms of anyone could have won it and I feel like we saw that in the game like there were chances for both sides it wasn't necessarily like 
end to end, but there were chances for both sides. And we know that both teams are capable of scoring like a scrappy goal. And like even with the Lisa Evans goal, I'm pretty sure there were like two attempts or three attempts on goal by someone else within the box before Lisa Evans had finally put the ball in with her head. And I feel like West Ham are going to get a lot of goals like that. They've got a lot of people that will fight for the team, even if they've lost a lot of quality in terms of like technical ability. Mm. What about Everton, Susie? Because obviously it was Brian Sorensen's first game in charge for them as well. Looks like he's got a bit of work to do. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a terrible performance. That's the thing. It's, like Moyo said, it's like it was a bit of a scrappy goal. Um, they should have done better defensively. They they should have cleared it much, much sooner. But it was it was not a terrible performance. They've lost so many players, though. You just I, I just I worry for them. Um, you know, you look Valerie Govar just did not live up to the hype. Well, she did before she got injured, didn't she? she yeah, before she got injured, before yeah. Um, gone to North Carolina Courage, so clearly they rate her. Um, Simone McGill, Daniel Turner, both gone to Aston Villa. Poppy Pattinson to Brighton. Sadie McIver, like a goalkeeper, to Mad City to play back up to Eddie Roebuck. Um, Runners Dottier to Bayern Munich. Grace Clinton to United. Uh, Angervard to Hacken. Like Kenza Darley to Aston Villa as well. Um, they, they've lost so many players and they've not made a huge number of signings. Katrine uh, Veggie, like from Rosengard, we know she's a good player. She was good for Arsenal, not quite Arsenal standard, but a decent signing for sort of a mid table team. <sighs> They're going to struggle, I think. Uh, like it's going to be very much a case of seeing how good a manager Brian Sorensen is at sort of getting the best out of, of these players. And a Merseyside derby at the weekend as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Aggie Beaver-Jones from Chelsea, she actually looked quite good, I thought. But yeah, I think they're going to really, really struggle this season given the amount of experience they've lost. Um, there's not much grit left in their eleven. No, it's going to be fascinating, isn't it? And, and Anfield, that Merseyside derby is going to be out as well, which is going to be fantastic. Now, last but not least, Tottenham hosted their own goal of the season competition at the King Power Stadium. 2-1 winners over Leicester, thanks to two absolute belters from Ashley Neville and Drew Spence. Susie, first of all, which one was better? Ah, uh, how can you do me like that? Um, Ash Neville, but, but that's like... I. Uh... I, I'm I'm always like slightly coloured by Ash Neville. I think she's a fantastic player, and I just like love her story um, and her journey with the Tottenham team as, as having like come through the leagues with them to a certain extent, and then being one of their best players in the Women's Super League, despite you know the rogue signings of the, <laughs> the likes of Alex Morgan, and then uh, and then some of the bigger names coming in. You know, she's still such a consistent performer. And I think the only reason she doesn't get a look in for England is a she's got Lucy Bronze in front of her, but also um, because she rose through the ranks in the way she did with Spurs. She kind of flew under the radar and was never played uh, in the England youth setup at any level. So she's not like being moulded in the shape of an England player from a, a young age. And I think if you're not in that system, it's it's really really difficult to to break in. So I go for her goal. It was unexpected and brilliant but it's also coloured slightly by the context of her story which I love. Moyo, Leicester uh, have been tipped for relegation by many people this season but I mean they showed a bit of determination to get back into the game 
against Spurs. Do you think they maybe Brighton or Reading and and as we kind of mentioned earlier, perhaps according to Susie, Everton as well are going to feel a little bit nervous after the weekends they've all had. Yeah, I think Leicester will be nervous naturally purely because they've not really got someone that can drag them through games. Like in terms of their squad, a lot of it is kind of like a level playing field. Everyone's pretty much like the same sort of level. Like there's no one that's really like, this is definitely their best player. This is going to be the person they look to when they're losing games or if they need a goal. Um, I think coming up from the championship, you kind of thought that Natasha Flint would be that person. But like she hasn't really taken to the WSL since coming back with Leicester in the way that like, we thought she would. I think one thing that Leicester though can find a bit of confidence from is the fact that they remained in the game. Even when they went 2-0 down, they were still getting like loose balls here and there. Like if the final pass is better in this situation or that situation, like it would have been different. So I feel like it's small adjustments they need to make. And also Spurs aren't notoriously a side that concede a lot of goals anyway. So I mean, the fact that they weren't really scoring against them is no slight on them. Spurs naturally don't concede a lot of goals. And I think that they wouldn't have been looking at that game as a as a must win. I think there's games from the teams that you mentioned before, so like the Reddings, the Everton's and, and such, that they will look at and say, OK, these are the games that we have to win. And if we can get a couple of other points from outside of those games, then we'll be fine. And we saw with them last season that they're able to, like they went on a little run at the end of last season where they got quite a couple of, like, they were picking up points quite a bit. And I think if they could do the same this season, they'll be fine. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting and it's going to be an interesting season all round. And before we go, actually, Johnny, I just want to talk to you about the article that you wrote for The Guardian on what's next for for women's football and really interesting take on it facing a battle for its soul, actually, which I think is a really good way of looking at it because it's in a, a pivotal point at the moment in its progression. And it can go one of two ways. Uh, for anybody who's not read the article yet, can you kind of explain where you were going with it? I thought Seminal Moment was on your lips there, Faye, just throwing that I in know, there. I know, I know. I took it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess it was um, it was about how, how women's football builds on, on the Euro success. And, and I suppose this really um, slightly thorny, slightly loaded question of how it how it grows, how it continues to draw in crowds and uh, increase its revenue and create a bigger spectacle and whilst preserving I think the qualities that that people love and are, and are kind of unique to women's football and there are, no, there are no easy answers to this we know that the WSL and championship teams are, are going to be they're going to be hived off into um, not a full breakaway but kind of a, an independent uh, an independent entity, the FA is going to have a share in that, but essentially the clubs are going to be, they're going to have the the freedom eventually after a few years to go it alone. And there is already a, a kind of a competitive imbalance where you have three teams who historically, well, over the last few years, have been far ahead of the rest. Now, there are other teams who are, who are, who are going to bridge that gap, but they are overwhelmingly, you might almost say exclusively, going to be the big men's teams. And I think there's, yeah, there's nobody's really quite worked out whether that's a good thing or how you know whether the logical conclusion is is that women's football is just going to end up being 
look a bit more like men's football, which you know you already see on the continent. Where if you, if you look at the contenders for the Champions League, it, it's it's all it's all you know it's 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 Real Madrid, it's PSG, it's Juventus, it's Bayern Munich, and and um, and is that what people want? I don't know. I mean, I kind of spoke to uh, I spoke to Maggie Murphy at Lewis, who is one of the few teams in the Championship that isn't kind of supported by a big men's club. You know, they're they're, they're kind of on on level pegging, and the women are actually doing a lot better than the men. And yeah, she said it's a kind of an existential question for them if there is this headlong rush to to invest and and drive revenue at the top, then they're they're, they're not going to be able to compete, which is a shame because Lewis is a lovely club with a, with a great ethos. Uh, so yeah, it's about that, and, and like I say, there's no there's no simple answers to it. It's just a, it's just a really delicate balancing act. Yeah, it's a fascinating article. I do urge you to go and have have a read of it. And as Johnny says, there is there is no obvious answer. We're only going to find out how it's going to play out by making a decision on it and that's that's the hardest thing for the decision makers to do that we could do a whole pod on it because there's definitely a, a shift change ahead anyway fascinating pod as always johnny thank you thanks for having me bye moyo thanks for having me susie go celebrate your second birthday and feel better <laughs> yeah i'm gonna have to pick another day like the queen aren't i yeah you are you are Right, we will be back with you next Tuesday. It's Derby weekend in the WSL. Arsenal face Tottenham in front of a record crowd. Liverpool play Everton at Anfield as well. And there's the small matter of Chelsea against Manchester City. The Guardian's Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys. Music composition was by Laura Iredale. Our executive producer is Max Sanderson. This is The Guardian.